Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, January 14th is moments away. If you just joined us listening on the live stream, well, we suggest you Go all the way back and listen to the beginning. Uh, if you missed some of that, here's what you missed. I'll go to the live stream chat. They'll help us uh, remind us of what hour one was all about. How okay. about that, Ben? Good idea. All right. Is it? I don't know. I'm about to read these comments, <laughs> and you're going to find out. All right. Let's see here. Our good friend uh, Kyle weighed in. Kyle, what's happening today, buddy? Thank you so much for listening live. He says, oh, now talk about uh, Barbara Eden from I Dream of Genie." <laughs> we had a lot of talk about uh, Bewitched today. So, man. You know what? I got mixed up. You're right, Kyle. Uh, Barbara Eden was I Dream. A genie. Uh, what was the lady's name who was in Bewitched? You're on your own. Uh, I don't know. You're on your own on that one. But millennials, hang tight. We have fantastic <laughs> program for you today. All right, I know, I know. That's Samantha been... was her name, but I can't remember the actress's name. Ah, uh, here we go. It's as uh, or uh, where's Frank when I need him? Oh, he weighed in. Trust me, I got his. He has a Bewitched comment. I'll okay. read it a little later. Kyle says, Ah, yes. It only took 15 minutes for Ben to say, "quote It was better in the old days." <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> Stephen says, "I a did new not record. say that." <laughs> Stephen says, "Oh, has he made a comment about being older than Dennis?" Yet? Yeah, yeah. They're becoming fans, yeah, Ben. Okay, yeah. They know your tricks. All yeah. right, let's see here. Uh, oh, Johnny Joe says Ben's brother invented the steam engine. <laughs> Guys, you got to check out hour number one of this program, especially if you're downloading and you just checked out hour number two. You got to check out hour number one. A lot of local talk and, of course, a lot of... Two, I also had a, a Leave it to Beaver reference. And oh, now they're definitely going to yeah, listen to hour well, number because, one. No, because uh, Pete Buttigieg reminds me of Eddie Haskell. I've been saying it many times, and I throw it out there. Okay. But nobody's seen. I think people, more people have watched Bewitched than Leave it to Beaver. We're losing them, Ben. All, All right. right. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International <laughs> Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, January 14th, is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, January 14th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. this hour of the program president of planned parenthood illinois jennifer welch will join us and it's the return of campaign strategist Lori glenn with Juanita irizari of friends of the parks and now your host Maybe the biggest Bewitched fan on the planet. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Uh, actually, I was not a big fan of Bewitched. I just love that 
scene where uh, Darren lays out the strategy. Larry, his boss, says he hates it. The client says he likes it. And Larry immediately flips and says he likes it. And it reminds me of Republicans, the way they flip-flop whenever Donald Trump orders them to do so. And our good friend Frank weighed in. Uh, Elizabeth Montgomery is bewitched. Ah, thank you, Frank. That's correct. Oh, damn, is he smart. Um, all right, very good. Thank you very much, Frank. I appreciate it as always. Uh, Jennifer Welsh in the studio, president of Planned Parenthood, um, I- Illinois. Thank you very much for stopping by. Thanks for having me, Ben. I think it's the first time. It is. Yeah, the first time you've ever been on our show, our humble little studio here. Uh, so welcome to the studio. Before uh, we take the deep dive in some of the issues nationally uh, facing Planned Parenthood, let's talk a little bit about what you have coming up January 23rd. Tell everybody what's going down on January 23rd. Planned Parenthood Illinois Action and our PAC are hosting our annual Roe v. Wade anniversary event. We are so happy to be bringing together hundreds of our supporters at Morgan Manufacturing. We definitely invite everybody to come and tickets are still available online. And the point of this event is to celebrate the anniversary of the landmark Roe v. Wade case and to also celebrate our victories in protecting both our champions, the amazing elected officials that we work with, and our choice because we've had some great legislative victories in the last few years. All right, Roe v. Wade, just a brief little explanation to people out there. Uh, I know you know it, I know it, everybody in the studio knows what Roe v. Wade is can't assume that absolutely everybody in the world knows what Roe v. Wade is. So talk about it. Yeah. So Roe v. Wade is the is the ruling that made it legal to obtain a safe abortion everywhere in the country. It took it away from a state's decision and nationalized legality of abortion across the country. A Supreme Court ruling. Yes. In 1973, I want to say. You're right. Uh, Amazing how my memory works. Correct. Uh, Thank you, uh, Robert Mueller. Uh, So Roe v. Wade, uh, and many people would say Roe v. Wade was what the ruling that uh, fired up the anti-abortion movement as well. And uh, ever since then, on on a number of fronts, they've been trying to undo Roe v. Wade. Do you subscribe to that notion? I think it's a great point, Ben. And it's amazing to me when we think of all of the progress we're making on other issues, on on um, gay rights, on on environmental access, a lot of other things. But here in reproductive health and sexual health, we're trying to go backwards. This country is moving farther and farther to the right. So this is a right that was nationalized so many years ago. And what's happening is that our opposition has been working to dismantle that right ever since 1973. And how does that playing out right now uh, in various states across the union? Well, what we're seeing right now is states and a lot of our neighbors here in the Midwest are amongst them, are passing some of the most extreme restrictions to healthcare that we've ever seen. So they're emboldened by the Trump presidency and the extreme nominations that he's added to the Supreme Court, and they're passing restriction after restriction so that it is increasingly more difficult for patients to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, this is a common and safe medical procedure that one in four women in the United States will get in their lifetime. Can you imagine anything else, such a common medical procedure and law after law, medically unnecessary, do not help the safety of the patient, 
um, being put into place law after law to restrict access to care. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things uh, we have uh, Terry Cosgrove who comes on this show all the time for personal pack. Uh, we haven't had him on in a while, D. I got to reach out to old TC. Uh, he hasn't been on since uh, December, but anyway, um, or maybe it was November. Anyway, but one of the things uh, Terry points out is that if in the in the thirty or so years that he's working on on this issue, he's watched as the number of Republicans uh, who support the notion of abortion rights have dwindled. They're almost non-existent uh, in the state of Illinois uh, and probably nationally as well. Uh, do, are you discovering the same thing that in the age of Donald Trump, the Republican Party has essentially abandoned uh, abortion rights as an issue? We've seen it happening over a course of years here in Illinois. We can definitely talk about it. Both Terry and I have noticed, and he, you know, we've been doing the work for a really long time. That you used to have folks who could see reason on this issue and could keep front and center the safety of patients or the care of patients um, and and people's ability to decide when and whether to have children. That's gone away. The issue is so polarized. And I think even before before the current president, I don't like to say president, um, you know, Trump very often. So we'll say even before the current president, um, uh, it's just so polarized and politicized, this issue of patients' access to care for both sexual and reproductive health. Uh, and uh, the other thing about Planned Parenthood uh, that I've noticed, and I get this uh, all the time in the emails that I get from the right, Planned Parenthood is coming out of shorthand uh, for like names or issues that can be uh, dependent to inflame uh, the sensitivities of far-right supporters of Donald Trump. I just said his name. Uh, is that fair in your humble opinion? I have my opinions on this. I don't think it's fair at all, but get your reaction to that. The way that Planned Parenthood has become a shorthand, it has symbol for something that really uh, inflames and irritates the right. I think if people really knew what Planned Parenthood of Illinois did, there wouldn't be so much opposition. I don't. I don't think that it should be polarized that 70,000 patients got services at 17 health centers at Planned Parenthood of Illinois last year. And we're talking about a full range of sexual and reproductive health. I think a lot of people who demonize Planned Parenthood don't realize how much care we're providing in their communities. We did over 90,000 STI tests last year, just here in the state of Illinois. It's a place where people come for life-changing and life-saving care. We're one of the state's largest providers of gender-affirming hormone therapy for trans patients. We do HIV prevention work. We do sex ed in schools and at our health centers, as well as providing every form of legal birth control. So tens and thousands of patients come to us for high-quality care. And I think if more people understood how many people in their community were getting their care at Planned Parenthood of Illinois, they'd have less objection to us. And when President Trump talks about defunding Planned Parenthood, that's something that he campaigned on. And it took him years to make true on that promise. And that's because our supporters, like the champions that we're celebrating at the Roe v. Wade event, like the guests who will join us, fought against that defunding because they knew 
that it would jeopardize health care for millions of patients across the country. Go a little uh, in more detail, defunding Planned Parenthood. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is the, the, the Trump's administration decision to implement the gag rule, which is the rule that, um, that agencies that take Title X federal funding, which has been in place, again, for decades and decades. I always joke that, you know, Title X was created by that crazy liberal president, Richard Nixon, and, um, and Title X made it so that the federal government could support critical family planning care. It was an anti-poverty program to bring, to bring preventative care and family planning into communities where patients couldn't afford the care by themselves. And so Planned Parenthood was the number one provider of that care across the country. And the Trump administration, after years of effort, finally put in place the gag rule, which meant that doctors and medical professionals and, and healthcare assistants who were receiving Title X funding couldn't even mention abortion. Even if a patient asked for it, even if a patient's health was in jeopardy and they needed abortion care, could not get Title X funding and discuss abortion with their patients. All right, let's just break that down for a moment. Help me out. Are you a lawyer by any chance? You are a lawyer? I you am can a help lawyer. Me with this. I'm not a lawyer. I didn't go to law school. I watch a lot of uh, TV shows about lawyers, but I'm not a lawyer. So please explain to me how it is that doctors do not have a First Amendment protected right to free expression. And when they're engaged in uh, conversation with their patients, isn't that supposed to be so sacred, like a doctor talking to his or her patient? It's like a lawyer talking. Remember Donald Trump when he was in trouble and they were going after Michael Cohen? You don't know what I'm talking about, Jennifer, but Michael Cohen was the former lawyer to Donald Trump. The feds were going after Don, uh, Michael Cohen. He's now in federal prison. Donald Trump was saying, you can't make him testify. That was sacred conversation between a lawyer and his client. So let's go back to uh, a doctor and his or her patient. How is it that the federal government has the right to restrict, to use funding as a way to uh, blackmail a doctor into saying something or not saying something? How is that protected anywhere in the Constitution, the government's right to infringe on a doctor's uh, First Amendment protection of free speech? I, I don't understand that. Please explain that to me. Boy, that's that's the question of the day, right? I'd like somebody to explain that to me as well, because we see the same exact thing in some of those abortion restrictions that we were talking about at the top of the show, that that the government does have no problem scripting false information for medical professionals when it comes to sexual and reproductive health. So the the gag rule would force doctors to lie to their patients. And of course, we have a big problem of that as healthcare providers, and that's why Planned Parenthoods all over the country had to reject Title X funding. Here in the state of Illinois, it cost the Planned Parenthood of Illinois affiliate that I work at more than $3 million this year alone to reject those Title X funding dollars. But I wasn't going to make my medical professionals lie to their patients. I wasn't going to help them withhold critical information about their care and their options. Did, did you guys struggle with this? Did, like, 
you know, when people say, look, uh, Jennifer, I know it's all good and well to uphold the First Amendment protected rights of doctors uh, to have an open conversation with their patients. I know it's like a fundamental right of democracy in the United States of America, but $3 million is $3 million. It's a lot of money. You just get off your high horse and take the money. Did people say that to you? <laughs> it's a lot of care. That's the way I think of it. It's a lot of patience. Mm -hmm. And especially in places in central Illinois, where Planned Parenthood of Illinois was the only Title X funded program. There are six counties in central Illinois, including our capital, where we're the only provider that are that's providing this full range of reproductive health care to patients that can't afford the care. And when we rejected the funding, we were worried about the care for those patients. We're fortunate right now we have support from individual philanthropy, but imagine that. What other healthcare relies on the charity of donors and philanthropists and and foundations who are filling in a gap that the government should be filling in? And it's not just Planned Parenthood that was making these decisions. The medical institutions and organizations opposed the gag rule. They came out. Of course it blocks medical professionals' ethics mm -hmm. and the pledges that they have taken to provide medical care to have information scripted by politicians. Not about medical care, but about what the politician thinks is right. You know, uh, excuse my utter ignorance in this, but let's break this out a little bit. The gag rule, was this an order uh, promulgated by the Trump administration or is this actually an act of Congress? It is a regulation from the Trump administration. I see. So Congress did not vote on this. That's right. Uh, and uh, it's being challenged, I presume, uh, or is it not being challenged? We challenged it for years and um, fought it in every possible way. And there are still some court cases pending. But at this point, the gag rule is in place. Wow. So the, the, their courts have sanctioned the gag rule. Uh, judges have said, in their humble opinion, they've studied the Constitution, they studied law, and they think it's, a, uh, it's healthy and legitimate for a, the United States government to tell a doctor what he or she can tell a patient. They've actually ruled in that way? The, the cases aren't final yet. What, what our colleagues um, in the legal field were trying to do was get an injunction to stop the regulations from taking place, and that was not successful. I think the full cases are still winding their way through, but I'm sure you've done a whole show on the changes that we have seen in the federal judiciary during this administration. Yeah. No, I just, I, I really have a problem, and this is me speaking, not uh, Jennifer Wells. I must get this off my chest. The complete and utter hypocrisy of my friends on the right, uh, they believe that uh, any, what, uh, any com uh, comedian from the right or any public speaker from the right has has a First Amendment protection right to insult anybody in the left, to insult women, to insult gays. Uh, and yet, where are they on the front lines when the federal government is telling a doctor what he or she can... I'm, the, people are never in favor of a principle, uh, Jennifer, in my humble opinion. They use principles as weapons and tools in individual fights that they're having. Do you follow what I'm saying? So they'll say, oh, I believe in a First Amendment protected right for, um, what's that lady's name who's really insults people all the time, D? You know, um, she's on the right. I talk about her all the time, but I always forget her name. 
You know, no? You're looking at me <laughs> Sarah like... Sarah Palin? No. I don't know. Palin. I'm looking at you. Oh, okay. no. Uh, whatever. Anyway, she goes on the college campuses and insults women, et cetera. Insults. Oh, yeah. Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter! Come on. Now I'm not crazy. Everybody's looking at me like, oh, the old guy lost it again. Anyway, Ann Coulter has a First Amendment protected right to go on a college campus and insult people, but doctors don't have a First Amendment protected right. I, I can't buy that, Jennifer. I'm sorry. I cannot buy that inconsistency. It's just right in my face, smacking me. Uh, and I'll tell you something else that really irritates me. Let me get your thoughts on this one. All the people who are against uh, abortion access for women, where are they on health care for uh, poor women who have children? Where are they when, when, the, when the baby is delivered? Where are they for funding schools? They're nowhere to be found in that. Oh, well, they just, they want the woman to have the child. Follow me in this, Jennifer. But then when the child is born, they run the other way. Nowhere to be found. Not on the front lines. Do you follow what I'm saying? The inconsistency really gripes me. It's amazing, right? Because we have a number of people who are working hard to dismantle the ACA and take health care away from people all over this country. And, and yet, then, when it comes to access to reproductive health, they want to pay more and more attention to it. They want to script what medical professionals can say to patients about health care. In general, they, they're, they're for small government. They want to get out of the business. <laughs> but when it comes to patients' access to abortion, they got a lot to say. They're legislating it like never before. That's where the small government, the individual rights, the my life, the my don't, don't tread on me, it all dissolves when you get to reproductive health. It, that's the disparity that grabs me. And have you done uh, uh, surveys uh, that talk about how much of a potent force this is among uh, voters in general, uh, the whole issue of reproductive rights? I know it's the primary issue or a primary issue uh, for Republicans. I know that Donald Trump has solidified his support among evangelicals on this issue uh, alone, pretty much. Uh, but have you done any kind of surveys to talk that examine how much of an issue it is for people who aren't hard right Republicans? We haven't, but I can tell you there's some real evidence about how much people care about this issue from the 2018 Illinois elections. Planned Parenthood of Illinois and Planned Parenthood Illinois Action and our PAC worked really hard to, to flip some seats from mm -hmm. folks who were not helpful on reproductive health issues to people who were, and we had great success. If you look at congressional wins and wins in the General Assembly, we can see that a lot of people care about access to reproductive health. And in fact, it's some of those new champions in the General Assembly who were pivotal in helping us pass the Reproductive Health Act in Illinois. So, so it's part of what we're celebrating at the, at the end of this month is the direct line from PPIA's legislative electoral victories to our legislative mm. victories. By the way, you are uh, a master of, of uh, putting things nicely. Uh, quote, unquote, uh, legislators who are, quote, unquote, not helpful on reproductive health. You talk about people who fought it tooth and nail. Every single, like, antediluvian idea that they could ever come up with to, like, to force a woman back in the old days where they just had to shut up and do whatever they were told. That's what they were for. 
And now they're telling doctors what to say. You got me fired up about this gag order. Uh, absolutely violates everything that supposedly the right believes in when it comes to free expression. Um, but uh, anyway, that's just one more inconsistency in the part of the Republican Party. My next two guests have come in the studio, the great Lori Glenn and the equally great Juanita Irizarry. We're going to bring them on before I bring them on and let you go, Jennifer. Uh, one more time, tell folks about what's going on on January 23rd. Thanks, Ben. I hope your listeners will join us at Morgan Manufacturing at the annual Roe v. Wade anniversary event. And we're celebrating all of our victories in protecting the champions that made our laws possible and the legislative victories for protecting our choice. Because now more than ever, reproductive health and sexual health is under attack, just like never before. Yeah, that gag rule is no joke. Thank you very much, Jennifer Welsh, president of Planned Parenthood, Illinois. As I said, Lori Glenn, Juanita Urzari on deck. We're gonna bring them on when we return. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. It's the butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right. It's made entirely out of butter. And, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. So this idea is a bunch of malarkey. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Hey, commercial break's over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Lori Glenn, Juanita Irizarry in the studio. They come in about uh, once a month or so. We talk politics, all <laughs> kinds of things. Look, I think it was Lori's idea. To st- or was it my idea? I can't remember uh, how I this I mean, we're going to talk about the queen, right? And... and- and Megan and Harry. Oh, and that, Harry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I mean that is the most important. important thing, I mean, yeah. forget about Brexit. Forget about the impeachment. What I want to know is, where are they going to live? And can we get some, like, you know, get them to work on some of our social issues? Yeah, come back to Chicago. Chicago. She went to school at Northwestern. That's right. You know, I got a confession to make here. One of my great confessions. Um, there's so much <laughs> stuff I cram into my head, and I just made this decision I'm not going to... Com- worry about cram stuff about uh the royal family of england into my head oh, thank so, god and then we bring this up yeah, <laughs> yeah you were, so i have a, i have to admit i'm not quite sure like which one is this one i know there's three sons i want to say right do i have Harry's that right the guy megan's the girl no but is there <laughs> someone named will there's someone william named will. is the one in line for the throne after and he's kind of bald Charles. Yeah. there's three sons anyway i know there's I two it's okay uh, there's a, isn't there a third one Harry, William, William and nope. Billy. No. <laughs> What's wrong with being bald? You're tired. Now, like, I never made a critique of it. It was a commentary. Uh, there's a third son? No, oh, there is two? not. God damn, man. All right, here you go. You know so much, Lori Glenn. What was the mother's name? 
Elizabeth. No. no. <laughs> That's no, the no. grandmother, Diana. There of we go. Course. There we go. Of course. And name the singer who wrote the song about her. Elton John. Very good. <laughs> good job. Hey, right. I get my nails done regularly. All right, now here you go. Final, <laughs> final, final trivia question to Juanita. Yeah. That song that Elton John wrote about Lady Di, Lady Di. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't even know the name. And he's actually, giving the questions. <laughs> awesome. Great quiz master. It was a rewrite of a song he wrote about another woman. Oh, name yeah. the original oh. star of the Elton John song. Oh, I'm so bad at these things. I will never get it right. All I know is it's like candles in the wind, right? Yes. If Lori, I could, go if I for could it. Help Please you. help me. I can't because I am clueless. Dennis? <laughs> no. no. Ice Cube. No. <laughs> Come on, Wouldn't man. that be melting in the wind? Marilyn Monroe. Oh, Norma right. Jean. Yes, that's yeah. right. Okay. That's well, right. Oh, can I, can, I, can, talk about can I say I'm too young for this? You are too young. You can say it, but say we it. may not agree you with you. Yeah. <laughs> do you share my outrage before we take the deep dive and get into all the serious issues? I know. That's why I like. Do you share my outrage? Rage at the Academy Awards and who was slighted, or do you not pay attention in the least? Mm. Do you agree with me that Adam Sandler, J Lo, Aquafina, uh, and uh, Eddie Murphy were slandered? There you go. Yeah, <laughs> Eddie Murphy was incredible. Yes, thank you. In the movie Dolomite, Dolomite, yeah. that was really yeah. genius. He's incredible, and, he and I saw nomination. him on Saturday Night Live. That was, you know, yeah. I guess the couple weeks before the end of the year, and he was hilarious. Yes, Gumby. Yes, I mean he brought back Gumby. I but love he can't Gumby. get an Academy Award nomination. There's something That's wrong about ridiculous. that. Ridiculous. But I will say the Joker. I saw it the other night, and I'm just finally getting over that. The most depressing, weirdest, tragic film about mental illness ever, but. Joaquin, and about Batman. And about Batman, but wow, was that performance? It's no, I've got no problem with uh, Phoenix getting nominated. I'm just like, and he's a weird dude too. Yeah, but so. <laughs> yeah, like he's gonna say, and he'll probably win, and he'll say something really weird and entertain mm-hmm. me. Uh, yeah. So yeah. anyway, I'm. I'll save my outrage for another second. You got an update for me, D? Before we take the deep dive. Uh, here? Yeah, yeah. Two things here. Uh, first off, find us on social media if you have yet to at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show on both Facebook and Twitter. Uh, like, follow, share, review, or don't. Whatever you want to do, it's up to you. Uh, at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show. Also, we have Benny J bonus interviews available for download. If you've yet to check those out, you should. Uh, one with WBEZ reporter Dan Mialopoulos. Oh, Ben and Dan just get <laughs> real nerdy. Talk yeah, all sure things know, local yeah. politics. Yeah. And also, fellow political nerd Mark Brown of the Chicago Sun Times talked one on one with Ben Jarofsky. It's our Benny J bonus interviews. Also, if you missed out on the week that was in news in Chicago and or Illinois, don't worry. We have our Oh, What a Week It Was, a 2020 primary election uh, Illinois special. Get updates on uh, the Cook County State's Attorney race, Kim Fox and uh, 
Bill the Bro Conway, as well as the Marie Newman and Lipinski race, Dan, uh, Dino Dan Lipinski, as we like to call him here on the program. It's the Benny J bonus interviews. Go check them out. All right, we have an update here from the Chicago Sun-Times and one Lynn Sweet. This is about the Obama Center. Uh, while groundbreaking for the Obama presiden- uh, Presidential Center has stalled due to a long-running federal review of the project in Jackson Park, fundraising continued today with Nike pledging $5 million toward construction of an athletic-slash-conference center on the campus. A revised draft of the report on the, quote, assessment of effects of the Obama Center will be posted by the city of Chicago on Thursday with the parties involved invited to a briefing webinar on January 23rd. All right, I'm just going to make a comment. I've not seen this story, as everybody knows. I get my newspaper on the 24-hour cycle of home delivery. Mm -hmm. So Dennis gets all these updates. But Mm -hmm. it's just a general sense. I appreciate them, Nike is caring about the city of Chicago, but I'm gonna point this out. We have not had indoor running facilities for the students of Chicago's public schools ever, mm-hmm. ever. So why is it that Nike's kicking in $5 million when it's part of some Barack Obama center, but where are they? going back into the last decade and the decade before that, in the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, kids running on, on the, in the hallways, getting banging up their knees and stuff like that. Don't get me started about these corporate donations with these high-priced, uh, well-connected projects. And yet, the corporations are absent when people need the most. That's just my opinion. Opinion about that? I just my initial reaction. We just happen to have Juanita Irizarry in the studio uh, from Friends of the Park. Do your so uh, I will say that mostly I'm not talking on behalf of Friends of the Parks. I'm talking from my own personal point of view. But I will say this one question: I can probably give an official Friends of the Parks perspective. And you know, I think I'm not going to really talk about the corporations so much as when we do have corporations putting money into some of these facilities for the community we don't have accountability like with the chicago park district that the the community is actually getting to use these facilities for example you know nowadays the way that they do a lot of funding for some of the new facilities throughout the park district is to bring corporate donors in but a lot of these facilities then are rented out to leagues around the city and it's folks who can afford to sign up for the leagues and it's folks from all around the city not necessarily neighborhood kids down the street who get to use the facilities Mm -hmm. i will also say that friends of the parks has really encouraged both the chicago park district and the obama foundation to rebuild the field house in jackson park which is basically going to be across the street from this brand new beautiful facility and if the neighborhood kids get to use the radio field house while the special guests and i don't know who else supposedly the public but i there's got to be limits on who you're letting into the obama's center i would imagine you know get that's the fancy facility but the public facility across the street is crumbling that doesn't really look like the obama foundation is a good neighbor and they keep telling us they want to be a good neighbor and we have said being a good neighbor means rebuilding the jacqueline park field house mm-hmm. and they've said uh they say that sounds like a good idea but you know, we haven't seen anybody say we have the money to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe Nike does. You would think. Well, okay, this is what I was getting at, is that corporate initiatives like, the, okay, let me back up. I personally do not believe that the people of the city of Chicago or anywhere else, and feel free to vigorously disagree with me on what I'm about to say, both of you, uh, should be dependent on the kindness of corporate strangers. That corporate strangers have their own interests. uh, They have their own reasons for giving money. 
I do not know, I've not studied Nike's relations with the Obamas, okay? Mm -hmm. So they have their reasons for giving money to this particular project. Uh, but we have a need. We've had a need, Lori Glenn, in this city, going back to when you were a young scholar in high school, for uh, better facilities for track and field. And Nike is, you know, they make their money off of shoes for track and field. So we've had this need that goes back forever. Kids have been running in hallways of high schools, blown out their knees, et cetera, and so forth, because we can't find it, uh, we can't find the money to build an indoor running facility. Now, all of a sudden, here we are, fast forward to the 21st century, Nike's already kicking five million. You know how many running centers we could have had for $5 million back in the 70s? That's my problem. When we depend on corporations, yeah. we lose out. That's just my opinion. What's your thoughts? Well, I went to Nettlehorst, mm -hmm. which is now a community school, but it was just a regular school when I went there. I was there until I was in seventh grade. And um, uh, it's a public school that our walls were painted vomit green and uh, dirty beige, and the walls were often crumbling. And I remember specifically going to the bathroom and there were never doors on the stalls. So mm -hmm. um, you have to look at like, what are our priorities? What, and I thought that was normal. It's not like I felt bad about it because like that was my normal. And uh, then my parents sent me to Latin and that was bad because, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> Private school, that was like really a bad move, mom and dad. But <laughs> that aside, uh, it was a really different world at Latin. I assure you, there were really beautiful doors on all the stalls and the bathrooms were really uh, cool, sort of brick and uh, automatic and really nice. So I think that Every action we take as a society now, it's, it's our values. We speak our values. And we all know what we can, you know, that, that in regular human being land and poor people land, uh, we in general, you know, think poor people are stupid. They're not a value. We think in general people who don't have power and people who don't have money, they're really not valuable. Mm -hmm. And so this is again and again shown. And we see, as I've seen over 40 years in politics, that you, the more power you get, the further away you get from normal human being land and the air becomes more rarefied and your sense of humanhood changes and who you think of as important and who is fungible or who you can, you know, isn't as important as other people. There, there becomes this, this layering, this, this codification of importance. So corporations, I will say this, is I've been paid a lot of money over the years uh, through Think Inc. or the Glenn Group. And I worked with financial institutions a lot at one time. And the what I would repeatedly get paid to do is I'd walk into a room and some really nice, well-intentioned people would say to me, Lori, we'd like to do this to this community. I may have already said this on the show because we've been doing this a while. And I would say, well, that's really nice. Why don't we ask them what you want to do to them and go ask them as human beings 
who they are. So like I look at Katie and Tim Totten at the hideout and they were made the, they were announced in the Tribune as the person of the year. And I was talking to Katie about it and she'd invited me and Ben, I know you were there. And Tim said to the Tribune, basically you cannot take a picture of Katie and me because the hideout is a community. And they just, all of us. And it's, they fought tooth and nail to get all of us in that photo now. I unfortunately got cut from the photo. Yeah, that's <laughs> Wait, but you I, were cut from the photo? Well, I mean, you know, they didn't really get the top, I didn't feel. I was standing on top. You probably, was someone blocking you? <laughs> I don't know. They I, took this uh, group huge. photo. It was awesome. Yeah, it was great, to, but uh, you're right, the people in the back row, I was in the back row, yeah. standing next to Antonio, and uh, you were in the back row too, so yeah. the people in the back row, we were kind of blurry. Yeah. Right. You're, so I, you were really cut. If I would have been like there, that. I would have been in the photo, because I'm so short. Sure, I would have been right been in, the in the front. And I yeah. think you do that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, that's my reason for being short. So I don't, mm-hmm. I mean, enough said, but I'm just, you know, so it's all about, like, I look at the Tuttons and like, they live their values by how they do things. And um, I think that's just a reflection of, uh, you know, what is corruption? What is elitism? You know, so people will say to me, well, Lori, that thing isn't corrupt, what someone did. But I know that when I've been on the inside, you just, it's a slippery slope and you just start going, hey, I know Anita and you know, I know Ben, so let's just play with them let's and- hook them up. Uh, we'll hook up with them and we're the cool kids and I, I don't know. I just maybe think if more corporations paid their taxes, oh, we would not even thing. have to have this conversation. That's right. Well, all right, Juanita, yeah. I, you stole- This is back we, to me yeah. talking yeah. out of my personal that, voice, no, by yeah. the way. Say yes. it one more time. Yes, Say I do not speak time. on behalf of my organization. Right. This is my own point of view. All right, let me ask you this. Because I was, when um, I was listening to Laura, I was taking notes and this popped in my head. Um, Corporations can be very generous making contributions yes. to like this community, that community. I appreciate that, absolutely. Yes. I'm, just saying that, you know, yep. uh, and yet <laughs> they will spend money uh, to promote the campaigns of politicians who work to cut taxes on the wealthiest and on corporations so that government can't fund itself, so that communities, right. the inequities that are right. built into the system, that are baked into the system, are that much harder to overcome, right. and everybody's that much more dependent on a corporate right. handout. Right, and then we have to thank them and be very grateful, whereas the social ills would not exist if they would have just put the money in the pot from the beginning. Yes. Yes. Right. What's all that's it's not all, so hard what's to that about? Out. Yeah, what's that about? Help I me know. out. I agreed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. What's enough? Are you ever too thin or too rich? I don't know. What you know, Jamie Dimon was, you know, on sixty minutes and you know, he's giving fifty million dollars and that's supposed to be a big deal. He gets paid for fifty million a year, I think. You know, um Who's giving fifty million to? I missed this. Jamie Dimon. Yeah, I know who he is, but who's he paying for? Oh, 50 there million? was a, a program in Detroit that they were giving money to revitalize Detroit. But um, one of our, uh, this woman who I just think is a great Congresswoman, and I can't remember her name, and she does this thing where she had uh, Diamond in front of her, and and she said, uh, you know, Mr. Diamond, let me just, you know, add up the uh, income of your bank employee here who makes this amount of money. And when she was done, just from not even basic needs, mm-hmm. she was like $500 in debt every month, you know, mm-hmm. on her credit cards. And mm-hmm. she said to Jamie, uh, Mr. Diamond, what, what is 
your solution for this, your employee can't even pay rent and food and clothing and transportation and take health care and all. I'll have to get back to you. And she just kept saying to him, so you're telling me you're like, you know, the brilliant banker that does all this. And he goes, I'll have to get back to you. I'll have to get back to Budgeting you. classes. Right. It's like. I don't know if that's what he said, but no. that just sounds like the kind of thing that they would have said. So, I mean, I think the disconnect, you make 50 million a year. How do you relate to somebody who makes 21,000 a year or 15,000 a year and has a family to support? When you're arguing about paying people $15 an hour for a living wage. Well, that's not even a living wage, actually. So it's, we are, I want to say, I just came back from, as my entitlement, Chile, and uh, we were in Santiago, and I have incredible photos, actually, of where all the riots were happening, and they weren't happening because the students are on vacation. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of funny, like, yeah. you can go now because they're gone on vacation, but when they come back, don't be in this spot. But um, throughout the entire country of Chile, there was... Um, issues of income inequality and there were actual uh, riots, manifestations as they call them, throughout the entire country yes. because you have super, super rich, major, major money and you know, you're in Santiago, you could be in New York or LA, big money, big buildings, no different than our cities. And then you, as you drive uh, from the airport, the poverty is, you can't even believe it, they're shacks, they're below shacks, mm -hmm. so. How's the pollution there these days? I was there 30 years ago, and I remember driving down the countryside and like seeing clouds of black over some of these small towns because of the coal and the, you know, the means of production. I hear Santiago is cleaner these days. I still have a thing where I go back to Santiago in my mind when I'm standing behind a CTA bus and smell the exhaust. I'm automatically transported to Santiago in my mind because that's what it smelled like when I was right. there. I hear it's cleaner. How are things these days? It may be cleaner than then, but when we were there, there was definitely pollution. And even though you're literally, because you're surrounded by mountains. But you so can't see the valley. The that's what I'm saying. Yeah. We couldn't clearly see them and they're literally right there. Mm -hmm. So they definitely have problems and there was definitely issues that people spoke to us about climate change throughout the country. Uh, the Atacama in the north, which is the driest place on earth, is drier than it's ever been and um, hotter. And the places uh, in the south, which look like they have plenty of water while well, they're on the verge of having a drought. Mm -hmm. And then they're also experiencing colder climes than they've had before, longer winters than they've had before. So, I mean, the climate change issue is everywhere. So related to the income inequality mm -hmm. issue, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've been talking beforehand about just kind of how the earth is screaming right mm -hmm. now. We have here in Chicago, we had this weekend with the Lakeshore, you know, oh up across Lakeshore Drive in a couple of different places we and were all there. kinds of damage along the, the private and the public way and some folks that live right on the lake really in bad shape in terms of, you know, water in their basements and then that kind of thing. And then in my family, um, being Puerto Rican and having a lot of folks down there, are just literally all shook up from you know the earthquake after earthquake and um, it just feels like you know the earth is kind of complaining about something you know there's been volcanoes it just seems to you be mean erupting a billion, 
billion animals. Yeah, Australia. You know, it just seems like this. We just so many things happening back to back that you wonder. Kind of, is the Earth just telling us to please stop and get a grip and work on these climate change issues? Before we uh, get into the the politics of climate change, some thoughts on that. And the lack of leadership. Yeah, lack of leadership. Uh, Any updates on, on the just the impact of uh, this week's weather on the parks along? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, many places along the Lakefront Trail have been damaged, including some of the places where they put the new bike lanes in, and now that asphalt and stuff is broken up. There are beaches that had already mostly disappeared, some that are more disappeared than they were before. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of money to be spent in terms of cleanup of, all of our beaches and paths. What's your uh, view of uh, fortifying beaches uh, every year in, and then in the, you know, with the expectation that, that people can have a beach to lie on and then the water comes in and erodes the beach anyway. Yeah. Uh, What's your position? I I think actually more beach and parkland is a good thing. I think the question is the Lakeshore Drive being too close to the lake is where we're always going to have to be reinvesting, right? I I think if if we, the the, the lake goes up and down, right? Now they're saying that because of climate change, there will be more storms, more frequent, more uh, stronger storms. So that part of it, even if the lake goes down, is still going to be kind of more of an issue. I think it makes sense for a big public park and beach to be that buffer and that barrier. That's kind of a natural thing for the water to go in and out. But because in some places Lakeshore Drive is so close to the lake, we're going to keep having to reinvest money in fixing Lakeshore Drive, right? So while there are a lot of questions about conversations that have been out there about the North Lakeshore Drive redefine the drive project, which has been in planning stages forever. Um, the idea of having more parkland and more beach, I think, is actually a good idea. It'll have to be somewhat fixed, but you also think about natural um, ways of doing that rather than trying to have concrete barriers that are going to be broken up mm-hmm. each year. The more you can have, you know, it's a dune, it's natural, you're going to have the waves coming in and then going back out. The natural ways of addressing this probably make more sense in terms of how we invest our money. All right. Uh, let's uh, talk about the politics of uh, climate change. Uh, the other day, Dennis and I were uh, driving home. We were listening to Joe Rogan's uh, uh, podcast, and they were he and his guests were sort of mocking and maligning uh, the climate change crew as though climate change itself uh, were some kind of conspiracy. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking in terms, I tend to side with uh, scientists on this, uh, What's wrong with you? I know. Um, it's, it's my upbringing. <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, and uh, Juanita, I'll start with you. What's your sense of where the country is? Uh, Donald Trump and the Republicans yeah. are essentially dedicated to the notion that climate change is a yeah. hoax perpetrated yeah. by, yeah. I guess, the Chinese uh, to get an advantage at a trade war. Yeah. And that so we can pull back, recede on all environmental regulations, pretty much all environmental regulations, uh, and uh, allow companies to pollute as much as they want because yeah. there is no such thing as climate change. Yeah. It's just the routine fluctuations in the weather. Which uh, Yeah, I, I mean, I think over the last few years we've seen some amazing, you know, different camps on those issues. I do feel like more and more people are looking around and saying something's not right here. You know, even skeptics, you know, the more we have problems with Lakeshore Drive, the more we have 
fires like we're seeing in Australia. And we just happen to have heard about Australia, but there's lots of other places where there have been massive fires in the last few years, uh, in, last, in the last year. I think some people are catching on. I think a lot of people have just turned off their brain, and they're just not, you know, it's, we've talked about this before. It's kind of cultish. Just I'm just going to believe what this person tells me. I'm not even going to think through the issues. Mm-hmm. But I think as more people experience them, and understand, start making the connections as I've been reading about in Australia and I have some friends in Australia who I'm watching kind of, they're talking about the ways the government there has invested in oil and the ways they've sold their water and other things that ultimately they've brought some of this upon themselves. As people articulate those things and make those connections more, uh, little by little I think we're starting to get it some. I think the farmers in Mm -hmm. uh, the Midwest are getting it their crops destroyed by floods. I think, I thought I saw a poll recently somewhere that said that Americans are starting to really begin to understand that climate change is affecting their world. And let's be clear that climate change is the migration of people, of hundreds of millions of people who are gonna be heading towards our borders Mm -hmm. (laughs) very soon because of climate change, because their islands no longer exist. Uh, 60 Minutes did a great piece on Venice, who said, please use us as an incubator. And I mean, Venice is almost, you know, underwater. Yep. I mean, it's extraordinary. How quickly we forget, but that was just a couple months ago, right? I mean, if and we string y- it together, it's really amazing how fast this is Oh, happening. it's happening really quickly. And yep. yet, the Republican Party is convinced that they can win re-election. They can take back the Congress, hold on to the Senate, and uh, reelect Donald Trump by arguing that climate change is a hoax, by arguing that it's a contrivance made up by the left uh, to justify regulatory policies that cripple our economy. That is the central tenet of the Republican Party, and they are convinced that they could win Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania on those issues and retain the White House for Donald John Trump and take back the Senate by arguing that. Uh, and shame on them. Oh, No, go and, ahead. And, yeah. sh- and shame on them. Yeah. Because, you know, again, uh, some of my best friends have been Republicans. We may not agree, but I respected their belief in what they believed in. But these guys uh, and gals, well, you know, th- they're just... <clears throat> Okay, I'll try not to say it. Oh, I know, they're assholes. You know, they're really bad. And they're willing to, they're short-term, cut your nose despite your face to, you know, penny-wise, pound-foolish, whatever adage you want to say. This is just about the tax cuts. This is just about money. This is about today. This is not about tomorrow. You know, and you've got, and I know that you um, live and have uh, grown up in the evangelical community. So I want to uh, be very clear, like not all Jews as I am Mm -hmm. are the same and not all evangelicals are the same. But then you got people like Mike Pence and others who wanna see Armageddon and, you know, give advice to Trump about creating wars in the Middle East. And so I just think that this is a battlefield of ideas and what has to happen now is the Democratic Party, and I do not care which one of them, Mo Larry the Cheese becomes (laughs) the candidate at this point. I just wanna see the Democratic Party develop a ground game where we clearly go and visit Michigan every day, every day, and really identify 
the voters and turn them out. Yeah, I think I said last time that I might need to go to Florida and help turn Florida blue, but that was before the earthquakes and we have a new wave of people trying to get out of Puerto Rico and many of them will go to Florida. So I thought that again this week that I might have to figure out how to how to go to Florida. And I just saw an article that said that many Puerto Ricans are really mad at Trump. The problem is they're not all committed to going out to vote when they're in the states. You can't vote for president when they're in Puerto Rico. Um, so we got to figure out how to get folks like that to engage, right? And that's part of the problem. There's lots of folks who are frustrated, but they stay home. What do we do to get them to go out to the polls? All right, Juanita and Lori are going to take a break. We come back. We'll close it down with the discussion since you raised uh, national politics and the importance of electing a Democrat in your humble opinion. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie are having a squabble, a spat on the eve of tonight's debate. She says, he said, uh, that a woman couldn't be elected president. Love to hear what Lori Glenn and Juanita Rosario have to say about this. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right, we'll do Lori Glenn, Juanita Irizarry in the studio. They're thinking of their response to Elizabeth Warren and the Bernie Sanders feud. Uh, Democrats doing anything they can to make sure they lose the next election, looking for any freaking issue they can uh, to undercut their campaign because what matters to Democrats more than anything is that they are right in their little silly squabbles with other Democrats. Uh, and they don't really care if Donald John Trump is reelected. Uh, by the way, Frank weighed in. Thank you, Frank. Uh, it was what up, Frank? Frank knows everything. I'll see you at the hideout uh, February 4th, Frank, for the great debate. Frank, uh, who either really knows everything or is just really fast on the computer. 
I think he knows everything. <laughs> Frank sits, uh, comes to hideout shows, and he knows freaking everything, okay? Uh, but he pointed out, uh, Lori, you were trying to remember the name of the congresswoman who was interrogating Jamie mm-hmm. Diamond, and it was Katie Porter yes. uh, of California. She's awesome. She is awesome. So Frank is awesome as well. Thank you very much, Frank. Frankie. Uh, uh, Dennis, you have an update before I uh, turn things over to Lori? Absolutely, I do. I have an update on marijuana, speaking of. Uh, does anybody have any? <laughs> anybody got any? Let's say I'm no. Out. I'm out. Right. Figured I'd ask. All right, the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. And one, Stefano Esposito. No, not Tommy Two Joint Shuba. Well, He's taking the, a day off, all right? It's the hardest working reefer writer in the city of Chicago. Taking a reefer break. It says here about 100 marijuana workers in Joliet are set to vote today on whether to join a union, potentially making them the first Chicago area employees in the fledging industry to organize. Two shifts of workers at Cresco Labs Cultivation Facility were set to cast votes with results expected Tuesday evening, said one Zach Kautsky, the legislative political director of UFCW Local 881. The workers at Cresco include those handling packaging, transportation, extraction, and infusion, as well as the front-end staff. Union. I'm, you know, big believer in unions. Unions, uh, I'm a member, well, was a member of two. I think I'm no longer a member of the one of the two that I was in, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, the uh, the cannabis industry. I'm using the correct term. Nice here, way to go. Cannabis, not reefer. Cannabis. <laughs> uh, the cannabis industry is a growing industry. Uh, it, lots of money. Uh, there was a sometimes had a story today in my beloved bright one. Where is it? Uh, well, I can't find it now. But uh, all the sales in that first uh, week of uh, legal reefer. So just to double check. No one's got any. We're good. No. no? no. All all right. Come on. These all two. Right. These two. Not here. They're <laughs> not bring reefer in the I studio. Don't know. One of the two of us. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, here we somewhere. go. Uh, the, Not me. The uh, uh, Here we go. Tommy, uh, two joint Shuba. 12 days, nearly $20 million recreational weed sales remain high in Illinois. Tom Shuba, ace. Nine high. Right. Yeah, I know. Oh, no, the Sun-Times. Are you kidding? The Sun-Times with their reefer headlines? Oh, my God. Uh, they love it. Here's an early pothole. Get it? It's an early pothole. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh I'll tell you, Lori Glenn loves it. The Sun-Times headline writers will be at Zany's this weekend. Uh, tip your waitress. Uh, this is a story about how uh, reefer shops are running low on bud. That's bud. Flower day. Come on, get it straight. All, all right. right. Uh, early pothole. Huh. Uh, all right, uh, Lori Glenn uh, and Juanita Rosari, tough question for both of you to address. We'll start with Lori. She loves the challenge. Elizabeth Warren, uh, had on the eve of tonight's debate, says that two years ago they had a conversation, uh, Bernie Sanders, in privacy. And in that conversation, Bernie Sanders told her, in his humble opinion, that a woman could not be elected president of the United States. The voters would not do that. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Bernie denies having said that. And this is the great thoughts that the Democrats are entertaining as they figure out the best strategy to defeat Donald Trump. What's your thoughts about all this? Um, Actually, a couple of years ago, I was in a conversation probably with Juanita or someone else saying Americans will never elect a woman because they'd rather elect. They showed they'd rather even elect a black man there there than than a white woman. Right. 
So, I mean, we are more sexist than racist as a nation. So, oh, wait a minute, does that make me an anti-feminist? Right. No. It's complicated. It's complicated. So You are making an observation. I was making an observation. Now, I admit, you know, I have the burn for Bernie. So <laughs> I am not as objective as uh, others might want me to be uh, because, you know, Bernie Sanders says what he thinks. Now, sometimes, you know, he says outrageous things, not quite like um, Mr. Biden. <laughs> He's a little more cogent, but that doesn't bother me. He's not saying that he doesn't want a woman elected as president, because I believe Bernie Sanders would want a woman elected as president. Absolutely. Uh, but um, he's saying, as I think we all are looking at, look what happened in the primary. So like uh, Booker just dropped, right? Cory Booker. Cory yes. Booker just dropped out. Uh, so we don't have any people of color left now that's because the voters didn't give them money they didn't support them mm -hmm. the voters are saying something about themselves now i don't like it don't get me wrong i'm not saying oh that's a good thing that is not a good thing that we don't it is absolutely not a good thing mm -hmm. that the final candidates are all for the most part well, 70 Anderson, yeah. some wait a minute you mean the woman for who's Andrew Yang still in the race. Oh, right. Yeah. Andrew. Oh, I love him. He reminds me of the guy on Saturday Night Live. He's so funny. But that doesn't mean I want him to be president. <laughs> I mean, he is. I love him because he brings he's outrageous and he's so out of the box. And that's good to have him at the table. But that doesn't mean I want him to be president. So um, for me, I'm I, I, I believe that Bernie was probably making a political observation if he yeah. said anything like that. And the fact is, is why is Elizabeth Warren talking about Bernie Sanders? Why isn't she talking about the issues of the day and about Trump and about the impeachment or about climate change or about what's going on in Europe with Brexit? All of these things. Yeah, I think my speculation is in the same place as I've been reading the articles is that Probably, and I hope that that conversation was back then Bernie doing a calculated analysis, right, of what he thought would happen, not a personal value statement right. about whether a woman should be president. Um, but all we can do is, is wonder. I will say my other lens that I've been thinking about this through is I actually have a friend who worked for the Warren campaign. And um, just a few weeks ago, she reached out to me to think out loud about another job opportunity she has and thinking about whether she should move on from the Warren campaign because maybe it's not going anywhere, right? And so that was my other lens as I started to hear about this. And I don't know that I would have thought about it that way as much if I didn't know that, that my friend who works on the Warren campaign and loves Warren was already thinking about jumping ship, right? Mm. So it's going down in their minds and they need to, you know, do something, you know, to, to prop it back up, get, get Elizabeth Warren in the, in the news is a sad way to do it for me I think I mean I think it, it's terrible to imagine that somebody really would think a woman couldn't or shouldn't be president but I do hope that it was just an analysis of the reality he denies he said it and and says, there's yeah. uh those are the words those two words uh radically different meanings yes. wouldn't and shouldn't right. uh they, I don't even think uh Elizabeth Warren or pe people were saying that Bernie was saying a woman shouldn't be president he was saying it uh in his humble opinion, it, it, it was, wasn't going to happen. Right. Uh, I have to tell you this. 
so many conversations I've had with ordinary uh, citizens in this country, which are, you know, these people are not even trying to be politically correct. They're just opining. Mm -hmm. uh, these are the men and women who get to vote just like you do, Lori Glenn and Juanita Rosario. Their vote counts as much as yours vote. So let's not stand in judgment of them think we're better than them. I'm just telling you, ordinary conversation with women ordinary people. Women are too people. emotional. Woman can't be president. A woman won't be elected president. A voters will not elect a woman president. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And, I hear and that too. I hear it all the time. You hear it all the time too. Mm -hmm. So, But I, that's just right now. Okay, let's be clear. The world has changed dramatically. I will tell you, the world has changed dramatically from when I was running political campaigns in my 20s. All right? And the world is a much better place for women than it was. We're just not there yet. But the last mile is the hardest, and I'm sorry, but we've made a lot of progress. I think we've made a lot of progress, and I think we will see a woman president That's right. fairly soon. I will say That's the right. world has been in front of the U.S. for a long time. When I was in grad school yes. at the Harvard Kennedy School and participated in a program through the women uh, for women in public policy, the data was there. The U.S. is not in the lead in terms of electing women to, to office, and yeah. we see that all over the world. And right. Juanita, I would just like to point one thing out. Um, in the 2016 election, the woman that was running actually won the election. Hillary Clinton got three million more That's votes right. than right. won Donald John Trump. It's just a very weird process Electoral college. In, uh, in our country where we decide that we will give the White House uh, to the loser. Nothing else in any sphere, no. any sporting event no, where the loser insane. comes in first. Right. Uh, that is that's our a whole other government. issue. But that's, that's why other. I think mm -hmm. that even so, this debate process or this even the primary process, I I just am like, it just feels not relevant on some level. It's like we're dealing with the major. You know, our country is at a crossroads. This is really important because. It does matter, this underlying sensibility of values, um, who we are, what we've stood for, the rule of law, and the we are losing that standing in the world, and no one is actually in that place, in that place of human rights, of democracy, of freedom, of equality. Um, the replacements for us, oh, that would be Russia, hmm. Oh, that would be China. Hmm. Oh, India. Oh, my God. Look at what they're doing to the Muslims there. This is scary. So what do values mean in the world? And I want to see the Democratic Party just do two things. Find a candidate we can get behind and focus on the Electoral College map and make sure we have a ground game so we can win. That and was three I things. Don't. <laughs> I, I was never good at math. I mean, really, do you have to like That's wipe okay. this out? I mean, such low SAT scores on math. I think they were in the 400s or something. I'm not a perfect person. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I am not perfect. Me and Budajek. No, that was, uh, I, that was oh. uh, Pritzker. Oh, that was Pritzker. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, Could I have a few of his dollars? Yes. All right. Very good. Uh, Lori Sorry, Turin. You were on a great roll. No, no but she I'm was just on, saying. You were riffing, but I'll just yeah. say this about the Democratic primary, and this is why. 
uh, on one level, I find it fascinating. Really, as I see it, the Democratic primary is like two basic forces. Your left of center force, which is represented by uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, and your centrist forces, which is everybody else of mm-hmm. prominence in those uh, debates. And uh, essentially, the Buttigieg's and Bidens and Klobuchar's are trying to unite all the people uh, on the cent- at the center and to the right uh, of the center in the Democratic Party to vote against Bernie and Elizabeth. And now they're at this moment where they realize, like Klobuchar realizes, she has to attack Biden and Buttigieg if she's going to get the centrist. And Bernie and Elizabeth realize they have to attack uh, each other if they're going to consolidate uh, their left of center forces. And that is my assessment of what is happening and what will probably be happening tonight. Uh, I know, but it just makes me tone deaf. I just don't want to hear it. But I do want to talk about Amy. Uh, Remember Amy? Klobuchar. Klobuchar. Oh, Klobuchar. You, I was, I was yeah, like, you gave her money. You said $100. Yes. I forgot that. That's right. Mm-hmm. I'm reminding you because you know what? <laughs> Amy Klobuchar, now I think she could win. I do. I think she could. Now, I'm a more progressive person than she is. I am. I love Bernie. <laughs> I do. I, I just feel like saying it because it's like his numbers are up. It's so awesome. Millions of young people are like saying, F you, America. I like Bernie Sanders and we mm-hmm. want him to be our candidate. But you know who could actually win over middle America is Amy Klobuchar. I believe that. Juanita, your thoughts on this? Um, I have not followed Amy well enough <laughs> to know what she could do. I really, I really have not. Um, you know, I'm a Bernie girl as well. I could be very happy under Elizabeth Warren. I do suspect. Yes, so you're course. again. Yeah. You're, you're with the left side of this Absolutely. equation, and no uh, question. And when Democrats say, uh, and many Democrats, I do, like Elizabeth too. I'm not against Elizabeth, just for the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, get I. It. I Listen, I, I basically subscribe. I'm going to vote for whoever emerges from the primary right. against Absolutely. Donald Trump. That's pretty. That's but for sure. I personally would like to see the Democratic Party for once in my life try out the left side of the table, if you will. And uh, that's just my personal so, opinion. But do you believe that Bernie can then win the Electoral College? No, I'm, I'm not yeah, being. Absolutely. He would have won it last time. In my humble opinion, I think that I think so. uh, Bernie Sanders would have won the last election. At uh, so many, I've had so many Bernie Bros and Sanders sisters in this studio uh, arguing this point out oh, for the last three years, and um, I do believe. First of all, I think tactically, a Sanders campaign would not have done what a Clinton campaign did and ignore Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. I yep. think. Yes, I agree with that for br- sure. Where his yes. bre- bread was buttered. Uh, secondly, this is the Dennis opinion, and I'm going to throw it out there. I'm not going to steal the man's ideas. Uh, but you did. I Go just, ahead. Well, no. I'm, <laughs> You're I, about to. I, I'm <laughs> giving him credit. Yeah. It's not theft when you give him credit. If I were to say, this idea came, came to me the other day this. when I was walking down the street, uh, that would be theft, okay? okay? But to say, this is Dennis's idea is attribution. Okay. It's the exact opposite. Anyway, he says that uh, Bernie Sanders is the Democrat who uh, has the strongest appeal in downstate communities that tend to go for Donald Trump. Yes, right, because he's got, he does have that charisma. He has that energy. You feel his truthfulness. You feel he, he actually is a true believer. 
And you know, people like that. They are wanting people who actually say what they think. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, Speak but that saying values. what he said, what he thinks, scares the heck out of centrists. That's okay. And that's well, you know what's interesting? Right. Uh, Michael Bloomberg had this statement the other day, the former mm-hmm. mayor of New York City, who is now spending. He says he'll spend a billion dollars to defeat mm-hmm. Donald John Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, but Pritzker did not agree to go along with him. He said he would spend a lot of money, but he. Wouldn't I don't think Pritzker's got billion. Bloomberg money. Right. I don't. I, I mean, if you got a billion dollars, to spend a billion dollars. I mean, that's billion dollars. Okay. Anyway, I, I was like, oh wow. And he goes, I don't agree with Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, but I would spend the money even if I'm not the candidate. Just to drive are. him crazy. Uh, just I saw to drive something about Donald that. John Trump, Lulu. Anyway, all right, we've run out of time. I want to thank Juanita Irizarry and Lori Glenn. Anything too before we leave? You want to promote or advise yeah, I people just, about? Yeah, I just want to say uh, that. I am, it's a good thing to see that Chicago is heading in the right direction in terms of lowering its uh, violence. This last year, there was a 10% reduction in the number of shootings. And while it is far from enough and we have to do more, um, both the Dallas uh, newspaper and the Philadelphia Inquirer wrote editorials Uh, giving a shout out to Chicago that both cities need to look at what we're doing here for them to consider how they're going to reduce violence. And I want to give a shout out to the um, violence interrupters, to the people on the ground who are doing community outreach because they have been instrumental in reducing violence in our community. And the mayor has, while not giving 50 million, has given 11 million to Susan Lee and Norman Kerr in the off, the mayor's office of violence prevention. And they are gonna use that money on the ground, in the communities, with the communities, not doing something to or at the communities, in partnership with the police. And I'm delighted with the new uh, interim police Uh, chief who I believe uh, understands uh, what Chicago needs to do to get the police culture under, you know, moving forward Mm -hmm. and to build a set of policies that are community driven to make real change. So speaking of healthy communities, because that's what I hear when I hear you talking, um, we are excited that I've been hearing that um, other folks have been taking up some of the message that we've been working on around creating new parkland around the Jackson Park area. So we've been saying if the Obama Foundation is gonna take 19.3 acres of parkland, could you please give little pocket parks and recreational fields and other kinds of parks to Woodlawn, South Shore, Washington Park. And we've been hearing now that Deputy Governor uh, Christian Mitchell has taken interest in this and the Emerald South organization. And as far as we're concerned, regardless of who gets the credit for it, please think about redevelopment of those communities with green space at the core as well. So good All stuff. All right, very good. Juanita Rosari, Lori Glenn, thank you much for uh, stopping by Can us. I do one last thing? Go ahead. So hurry up. The mayor yes. has actually <laughs> uh, started their uh, commissions now on uh, oversight for Lincoln Yards in the 78. And uh, they are looking for people to apply to be a part of these oversight commissions, and I hope people will apply for them. Yes, uh, except for Ben. If, yeah. Could you imagine if I applied for that one, man? Get yeah, out of here! Don't do it. Shh, don't do it. Don't do it. They put me on that committee, and they go. 
get this guy out of here. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll apply in your stuff. Okay. So I just, I'm just saying, I hope people will apply because we do need to have continued oversight. And the only way it'll be real is if real people join that commission and actually speak their mind. I hear, hear, agree with that point. The only way Friday, it'll be re- deadline, Friday. It's Friday's Friday, the deadline. The deadline. Dennis is yes. going to get his application in, uh, I think, by. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. They'll put that uh, producer of the Ben Jarofsky show. <laughs> Throw it away. Anyway, all right. I'm going to stop being so cynical and jaded, Lori Glenn. Until tomorrow. Uh, until tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Want to or until the show ends. Uh, five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start up again. And the uh, mayor did marry two of my very best friends this weekend, and it was her first uh, marriage that she uh, officiated. Is that right? Uh, and I want to give a shout out to the mayor because it meant a great deal to uh, Bert Green and Eric Lasher. So, mazel tov. All right, that's pre- let's just end it with that one Humane. with a nice wedding. Yes. Uh, and uh, so, Lori Glenn, uh, Juanita Irizarry. I also want to thank Jennifer Welch. Maya Dukmasova was here uh, a long time ago. It's been uh, early part of the show. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Well, we have a question here on the YouTube oh. live stream chat room. Johnny Joe asks, will Monroe be in this week? Yes, he'll be here tomorrow. He will be here tomorrow. We're going to have a great show tomorrow. we got uh, Monroe Anderson, Samina Mustafa, uh, Jackie Algy. We'll all be in here we'll be talking about debates we're talking about impeachment but talking about iran monroe anderson is fired up and ready to go and hey this uh no kamala kool-aid featured on uh this week's uh debate review no kamala harris no kamala harris oh. i remember i was drinking that kamala kool-aid yeah uh and then who was it Latisa wallace was chiding me she goes you drank the kool-aid but you didn't donate to her campaign and that's what <laughs> she needed Latisa wallace thinks she's funny she uh, got a good line there anyway uh, as i was saying the pride and joy of alton illinois as juanita can tell you back home in mm-hmm. alton they call him white lightning give yourself a oh, raise yeah. take it <laughs> take it out of petty cash see you tomorrow everybody <laughs> Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J. bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Downloaders, you know we live stream this show, right? It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites in the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Look for us. If you ever got nothing going on between 1 and 3 Tuesday and Friday. You know what I mean? Join the live stream chat room if you dare. Talk politics with like-minded people or PC amnesty and enjoy the live stream chat. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>